Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's amazing episode. How are you, Deb? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for asking. This week, we're going to discuss the Barney and Betty Hill alien abduction incident. When you talk about alien abductions, there are three that must come to mind. The Hills, which we will discuss in depth. Antonio Villas-Boas, a Brazilian farmer who later became a lawyer. And then Travis Walton whose abduction is the book and movie Fire in the Sky. Well, I haven't heard of The Farmer or the movie. Could you tell me a little about it? Sure. The, the Farmer is really the first incident of alien abduction that's been recorded. And he was in Brazil, and a lot of people thought he made it up. But the man later became a lawyer. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then the movie Fire in the Sky is a book about Travis Walton, and it's a movie where he was abducted um, out of the woods in the Pacific Northwest when they were doing logging. Even though the Villas-Boas incident allegedly took place in 1957, it really didn't get much press until 1962, which is a year after the alleged Hill incident in 1961, which to this day gets more coverage and even had a movie made about it starring James Earl Jones as Barney Hill. What's the name of the movie? The UFO Incident, which was a 1975 made-for-television movie. Let's get a little background on the Hills. They were from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney worked for the United States Postal Service, and Betty was a social worker. They were church-going people and were both active in the local Unitarian congregation. The Hills were also members of the NAACP and community leaders, with Barney sitting on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. They were an interracial couple at a time when it was particularly uncommon in the United States. Barney was black and Betty was white. There is an importance to this statement. At that time, interracial marriage was still illegal in most states, and they would not have wanted to draw any more attention and ridicule to themselves than they already had. So why make up an incident like that? They had both separately undergone regression hypnosis to help discover what had happened to them in the missing hours of the incident. Let's hear a little snippet from Barney's session where you can hear the sheer terror in his voice. And I want our listeners to keep this in mind as we go through this from the beginning. All right, you can go right on, experience it. It will not hurt you now. I got to get my gun. (laughs) 
this way, this seat. <laughs> you forget now. Oh, you forget it now. You forgot it. Calm now. Relax. God, I'm scared. It's all. And then I get out with the binoculars. And it is there. And I look. And I look. And it shifts over. And I think, I'm not afraid. I'll shoot it down if I'm not afraid. And I walk. I walk out. And I walk across the road. There it is up there. Oh, God damn it. Calm down. Calm down. It's there. But you can see it, but it's not going to hurt you. Go on. Why doesn't it go away? Look at it. It doesn't matter. Calm. Calm. It's not going to hurt you. There's a man, and he, 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 captain, what is he? You gotta look at me. Just a minute, let's go back a little bit now. You say it's there, it's a, did you say it was a thousand feet away? Oh, no. A thousand yards? It doesn't look that far. It's very big. And it's not that far. That was some uh, pretty chilling audio there. So let's go back and start at the beginning. On September 19th, 1961, they were on their way home from a vacation at Niagara Falls in Montreal. About 10.30 p.m. that night, they were just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, and Betty said she spotted a light in the sky. At first, she thought it was a falling star, until she realized it was moving in an upward direction and not down, and was growing closer. Since it was so weird, they decided to stop at the Twin Mountain Scenic Picnic Area to watch it and let their dog, Delcy, get some exercise. Betty started observing it with binoculars and thought it was maybe a UFO since her sister had seen one a year earlier or so. She gave the binoculars to Barney and he decided it was a commercial airliner until it abruptly changed course and started heading straight towards them. Barney then panicked and got everyone back in the car and took off. Going back, do you have information on the sister's encounter? No, I don't. All I was able to see or find was that she had supposedly earlier the year before had seen a UFO. I'm not even sure if it was a reported case or not. Hmm. The craft supposedly followed them and about a mile south of Indian Head, it descended on the car, which caused Barney to stop in the middle of the road. The craft hovered slightly above and in front of the vehicle, about 80 to 100 feet. Carrying his pistol in his pocket, he got out of the car and moved closer to the object. Barney claimed to have seen 8 to 11 humanoid figures through the binoculars, 
One of the figures in the craft looked at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red lights on what appeared to be the batwing fins began to telescope out the sides of the craft, and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. The silent craft approached what Barney estimated within 50 to 80 feet. He knew that the beings were somehow not human. I have a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Go ahead. First, for my reference, what is the difference between human and humanoid? A human is, of course, us, a human. Mm -hmm. A humanoid is something that's alien, like a lizard man or moth man or a werewolf, something that looks like human but is not human. That would be a humanoid. Okay. The reference to glossy black uniforms and black caps would seem to me to indicate they were officers or attendants or something like that in an aircraft, don't you think? Yeah, almost, but I don't know. Um, I don't think anyone really knows what aliens wear. I think most of the depictions we get on TV and sci-fi, they're nude. But that wouldn't make really make sense Mm-mm. if they're that advanced. I'm sure that... They had a Garden of Eden somewhere, maybe. Who knows? Okay. And what made him think at the end of the account they were not human? Their appearance, the big slanted eyes, the, the color of the skin, the small mouths, the nose, the long fingers. Um, we really aren't going into a lot of description that Barney had during his hypnosis session. But that's how he determined they were not human, honey. Okay. He drove away as fast as he could, telling Betty to look for the object. She rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they said seemed to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle. The car vibrated and a tingling sensation passed through the hills' bodies. The hills said that they then experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned the couple to full consciousness. They found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles south, but had only vaguely spotty memories of the section of road. They recalled making a sudden, sharp, unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock and observing a fiery orb in the road. They returned home around dawn and were perplexed, as they seemed to have gaps in their memories. Then the Hills tried to reconstruct the chronological of events and the witness, after witnessing the UFO, but immediately, after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during the drive into her closet observing that the dress was torn at the hem and the zipper in the lining. Later, when she retrieved the items from her closet, she noted a pinkish powder on her dress. She hung the dress outside on a clothesline and a pink powder blew away, but the dress was irreparable and it was completely damaged, so she threw it away. But then she changed her mind, retrieved the dress, and hung it in her closet again. Over the years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on this dress. 
Do you have information on the results of these tests? Sure, I have some of it. They know that there was non-human DNA found on the dress. They knew that there was different fluids on the dress, including some of Betty's blood, and that there was some fluid from like a pregnancy test on the dress. So there's a whole lot of stuff. There's probably pages and pages of the results of these tests over the years. The Hills noticed there were shiny concentric circles on the car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Betty and Barney experimented with a magnetic compass, noting that when they moved it close to the spots, the needle would whirl rapidly, but when they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would drop down. Do you know what prompted them to experiment with the magnet? There's really nothing that states their reasoning behind it, but an educated guess on my part would be at that time, all watches were basically hand-wound and magnetic. And I'm sure the lapse of time and, and the, this watches screwing up and stuff like that gave them the idea that something magnetic had happened mm -hmm. simply from the science at that time. Okay. On September 21st, the Hills reported this incident to the Air Force and were interviewed by Major Paul W. Henderson, who then telephoned the Hills for a more detailed interview later on. Henderson's report, dated September 26, determined that the Hills had probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. Wow, really? Okay. Within days of the encounter, Betty wrote to retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe, the head of NICAP, a civilian UFO research group. She related the full story, including the details about the humanoid figures that Barney had observed through the binoculars. Betty wrote that she and Barney were considering hypnosis to help recall what had happened. Her letter was eventually passed to Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer and NICAP member. Well, we kind of know what happened in the hypnosis from hearing that terrified response from Barney. Webb met with the Hills on October 21, 1961. In a six-hour-long interview, the Hills related all they could remember of the UFO encounter. Barney stated that he had developed a mental block and that he suspected there were some portions of the event that he did not wish to remember. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the appearance of the somehow not-human figures aboard it. Webb stated that they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observation where human judgment is involved. Things like exact time, length of visibility, apparent size of object and occupants, distance and height of the object. What reasoning did he give for his determination? How, how did he come up with this? Well, Webb was an astronomer, and one can only surmise that he had some belief in extraterrestrial and other planets from his experience in astronomy and was able to look at things that way. And that's what helped him determine that they were telling the truth. That, that would be my guess on this. Over the years, many people have openly rebutted this incident. Psychiatrists later suggested that the supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in 1960s. Betty discounted this suggestion, noting her relationship with Barney was happy, 
and their interracial marriage caused no notable problems with their friends or family. As noted in The Interrupted Journey, which was a book written by Simon, the hypnotist, he thought the Hill's marital status had nothing to do with the UFO encounter, but that Barney was simply relating dreams to Betty had had. What? What dreams? Where did that come from? She had dreams of the abduction and the aliens after the incident. Mm -hmm. And the psychiatrist determined that Barney only was remembering her dreams. Yeah, uh, that's not really possible. Okay. <laughs> As a certified hypnotist, I'll tell you, from my education and experience, you cannot make anybody remember anything that wasn't true or they don't want to. And you cannot make anybody do anything they don't want to do. Even if you're doing a stage show hypnotist where somebody walks around like a rooster, the hypnotist knows who to pick. He knows who is a silly person to be able to do those kind of things. So you can't hypnotize somebody and make them have memories that weren't there. Not through hypnosis. Jim McDonald, a resident in the area in which the Hills claim they have been abducted, has produced a detailed analysis of their journey which concludes that the episode was provoked by the misperceiving of an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. McDonald notes that from the road the hills took, the beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same time the hills described the UFO as appearing and disappearing. The remainder of the experience is said to be stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories recovered under hypnosis. After reading McDonald's recreation, UFO expert Robert Schaefer writes that the Hills are the poster children for not driving when sleep deprived. McDonald's article focuses primarily on the Hills' observations of the lights in the sky and the timing of the journey, discounting the Hills' accounts of close encounters south of Cannon Mountain as recovered memories. What qualifies McDonald as an expert on this subject? Really nothing. Somebody wanted their 15 minutes of fame. He said he lived in the area and it was just a beacon. And, um, you know, who's to say if he wasn't paid somewhere along the line to make that statement? Of course. Many have discredited Betty after Barney's death as being a fake and a fraud. As science has advanced, we have learned in some early results that science has failed us. Newer testing has been able to show that there was radiation, fluids, etc. on her dresses. Other witnesses have even stepped forward. Kathleen Martin, one of the top UFO abduction researchers in the world, also happens to be Betty and Barney Hill's niece and is on the forefront of this new scientific effort. I wonder if their encounter led her down her career path. Absolutely. In a interview I listened to one time with her, this was one of the major reasons that she got into this field was she was about 13 when it happened, and she had just went to the presidential inauguration of Lyndon Johnson with Betty and Barney Hill because of their activity in politics and NAACP. And uh, she was just so overwhelmed by the way they were treated that she's like, they're not lying. Mm -hmm. There's got to be something more to this. But the question still remains... Something happened to the hills, 
You can't fake the terror that we heard in Barney's voice under hypnosis. Were they abducted, or did they make it up? What do you believe? I believe you're right. The terror alone should leave no doubt that something occurred out of the normal realm of understanding. I agree, Deb. Well, folks, thanks for listening. And until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening. And remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com, and if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode. 